Episode 67. West End or Westminster. Introducing J.P. Goddard. On the BTS Creative Academy podcast, Uncut. With me, your host, Martin Colton. Welcome. Thank you. J.P. Yes. John Paul Goddard. Goddard, how are you? I'm all right. I'm, I'm scared when people say my full name because I feel like I'm in trouble from my mother. <laughs> I say that for people that don't know you more familiarly. Familiarly, familiarly. I'll get my tongue around that word. <laughs> You're known as JP. Yes, everyone knows me. Everyone knows you as JP. Yeah, and I was very original. I chose stage name. I chose JP. So yes. that was <laughs> lots of intensive thought went into that. Yes. So it's uh, it's been a while. It has since yeah. we've since we've seen each other other last. Um, I knew you a lot when I was when I was younger. Yes, uh, we we grew up together in the in the young people's theatre. Beginning, but I, I was always cast as your father in whatever role I had. <laughs> you were always my son, basically. But we were we were the we're the same age, aren't we? Pretty much. I think I'm, I think I'm slightly older than you. Yes, but it, we we were we were young at the same time. Absolutely. Growing up in a yeah. in a young people's theatre company. Yes. Um, and then yeah, and then we and then we for tw- the last twenty years we've gone off and done obviously our separate we've things. We've done a lot of different things. We have, haven't we? So yeah. yeah, this is a this is a lovely little catch up. Yes. So what I know of JP is that you're a political advisor. Yeah. You're a singer, performer. It's <laughs> generous of you. <laughs> and, a, and, a, and an aspiring writer as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Lots of it. Uh, yeah. Lots. Of, I guess. Um, I think I've always tried to think of it as being. Um, bored in the same thing so like I feel like I've got lots of uh, lots of strings to my bow but my mother would say why can't you just choose something <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you to, you're a politician then you went to be a barrister and then you do what well, just do something <laughs> but, but what why why do we have to pick one thing yeah well I think that's I think that's kind of where I got to with it actually because the, I, I was doing I, I've sort of had quite a few different careers mm-hmm. um but that's like teaching or the law or politics or whatever else and uh and I think it's ingrained in us isn't it that we really need to choose one thing and then just pursue that mm-hmm. and I sort of have done that for about five years at a time and then you, you rebel against that yeah, and philosophy then move on and try something <laughs> and just think, I'm gonna try something completely different now so <laughs> So what's the main thing going on in your life right now? Uh, well, the main thing, um, the thing that I'm taking most seriously at the moment... Um, most, is seriously. most seriously? Do, do you sometimes not take things seriously then? Well, I, th- <laughs> I think there has kind of been <laughs> elements where that's been true in the past. Uh, but I think the thing I'm doing mostly now is I am writing, I'm writing a musical. Um, and uh, I've been doing it for a couple of years, but not really doing it so mm-hmm. I've been doing it but I'm, I'm trying to be much more intensive about it and um I also wrote a panto last year which we were hoping to put on for a community thing last year but in terms of venue and stuff it didn't quite come off um and and, and it was just useful be, it was useful writing to a deadline really mm-hmm. um and actually I'm quite proud of it I think it's quite funny I think there's some good songs and whatever else so uh, I think we're going to do that next Christmas um so this year, well, it feels weird now we're in 2024. So mm. doing this Christmas, if we can sort the venue out, because a lot of people that saw it said, no, it'd be a really shame not to do this. So, well, okay, well, maybe let's do it. So I'll try and find the venue and do it this year. Um, so that was helpful in getting me back into kind of uh, the rigour of writing, as it were, and, and making sure that I try and do it every day. So 
the musical will happen this year. I mean, it will happen mm-hmm. this year in the sense that it will be finished this year. It's sort of already finished, but I hate parts of it. <laughs> so, I, I think with writing, it's it's unless, like you say, like you have a deadline, it's yeah. very easy for the ideas to just stumble along and g- come out in spits and spurts. And <laughs> I, I think the other thing I've been trying to get at is going somewhere to write. Because when you're at home, there are lots of distractions mm-hmm. and oh, I'll just go and make another cup of coffee or the doorbell's gone or this or this that. So yeah, where the phone goes, notifications, yeah, emails. Exactly yeah, exactly that. Uh, or someone's just tagged you in a Facebook post. It's hilarious mm-hmm. that you must view instantly. Um, and so I've tried to get better at actually going places to write. Yes, yeah. Um, and that has been helpful. Yes, Neil, Neil Gaiman. He go. Do you know Neil Gaiman? I don't know. No, he's a. Um, he does fantasy novels. Oh, okay. And series. I, I, he's one of my favourite writers. Um, he goes off to his shed every day with a notepad and pen, no phone, notepad and pen, mm. and that's it. So no, no electronics at all, mm. and he just writes whatever comes out. He has other things that he does after that to to make it better, yeah. but he dedicates some time separate away from everyone. That is for writing. Well, that's quite useful. And I've done that on occasion, but then I have to say, it's productive in one sense, in the sense that I write a lot on a pad and paper, mm-hmm. but then I have to then put it on the computer anyway. So <laughs> I'm not very good at doing that. So, um, so yeah, I do take the laptop. I have to say, yes, but, uh, yeah. But I try and switch off the internet. And turn the turn the no- notifications yeah. off. Yeah, and get that get that musical written. Exactly. <laughs> so, are you a, a musical writer? You're writing a musical. Yeah. But are you writing? The music? Well, uh, I'm adapting the music, as it were. So um, I'll give you an exclusive. The musical is called Mm. Shine On. um, And it is uh, based on... There's an Irish country singer called Brendan Shine. Hence why it's Shine On. Uh, And he was a big part of my my influence growing up as a kid. I come from an Irish family. Um, And so I'm using his music... Um, there are a couple other bits in there as well, but I'm rewriting a lot of the music as well. So, well, not music, writing the li- rewriting the lyrics to make them scan better for the show, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, and it, and it's comedy, so it is meant to be uh, funny as well as the the music. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and actually, that's where some of the issue is because um, I've rewritten all the songs already. Um, and I'm mostly happy, eighty percent happy with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are there's one as well I think really needs a lot of work, and and I haven't got that 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 exact X factor on this particular song yet. And when when that I have that, then the musical will be written. I hope. Are you sharing this with anyone? Uh, I'm sharing it with some people um, that uh, I trust and whose advice uh, has been useful, and people that have also written things themselves. Um, and once it was getting to, so it's been a very small circle so far, but now it is more written as it were. Um, I, I widen that circle out a mm-hmm. bit now to yourself and to other people. Really? Um, okay. Appreciate uh, that. To, to see, just to get honest feedback. Cause I think mm-hmm. the other thing is that whenever I send feedback or ask for feedback and I send it out to people, whatever I've done, um, people are very nice. Mm. Uh, and so I've I, over the years I've got used to asking. Um, I, I don't want to hear about what you like. Just tell me what you don't like, or what's the worst bit, or what's the bit you think doesn't make sense, or yeah. whatever else. So I was going to ask you, what does that what does that trust look like when you choose a small circle? 
what do you what what does that try how do you how do you judge that who you're who you're sharing with i think it's useful in life so so the friend that will always um be honest with you even if it's not what you want to hear and i'm very lucky i've got i've got quite a few people in my life that are quite happy to tell me uh, you're an absolute idiot um so yeah those people that um are are so people like andrew johnson who obviously mutual friends great friends with yeah. and and you know as well mm -hmm. and from uh, days uh, politically with him and 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 now in friendship and then people like uh, Ange Blackwell who is you know just the nicest person in the world and also in herself really literary advanced and when we go and watch this together we sort of dissect it in the interval and afterwards and so her her opinion carries an awful lot of weight but people that just aren't afraid to say to me i don't think this works um and actually the, there is a part, uh, there was a particular part when i shared this with Ange that she'd said to me um i i, I see where you're going with um this particular relationship, but it's a bit caricature, it's a bit cartoony, she's not very nice to him. Um, and I said, yeah, I see what you're saying. And actually mm -hmm. I took that advice and, and I've rewritten that section. Um, I, and it's better, so I think she's right. So ultimately it is about whether it's fruitful. Mm -hmm. Now there are some times you get advice and so I'm not sure about this song, but if you really believe in it, you've got to back yourself. Um, so it is quite, uh, but for me, I think also it's one of those things, it, it's about trying to, do things first and and you know yourself when you put something in front of an audience something that you love uh and it just dies a death or something mm. you think, oh i'm not sure if i should take that gag out or i'm not sure if i should take this passage out and then they love it so it's it, a lot of the time it, it's driven by the audience i guess as well yeah so how, how do you weigh up what is the good advice and the bad advice trial and error I think I think you've just got to if you like I said if you if you think you're right about something you need to back yourself mm -hmm. um, and try it and you'll be proved right or you'll be proved wrong um, and quite often you know from the page to the stage it's quite different as well as what you give to actors um, and the way they interpret what you've written um, sometimes it's the complete opposite of what you're going for and that can in itself be liberating and brilliant and so much better or it can be no that's really not where i wanted to do so what i also try to do now is not be too much part of the rehearsal process sort of give the baby and and let them look after it mm. and and then see what they come up with because i think particularly if you're writing and you're directing as well it's you're in a situation where you're like well, no i want it done like this and actually you take away and of course you need you need that vision and you need that sequential um sequencing of events if you like but to get from a to b but i don't think you want to stifle the creativity of of actors give them an opportunity well how do you see it mm. well, what do you want to do yeah within within whether it's tv film theater whatever it is you're creating there are different clogs mm. to the machine absolutely and if you was to try and be all of those clogs the writer the director the the composer it, it kind of doesn't I've, I've never 
really seen that work without no. bits of it starting to to fall apart i think you do need to bring in that collaboration don't you yeah i think that was the toughest thing because i'm a, as you know i'm a complete control freak so, it's <laughs> like you, so when you're doing stuff um and it's fun if you're doing something quite last minute i'm put on shows quite last minute and, mm -hmm. and and if you're really tight for time and it's like no we've got to do this 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 and this right because we've got to get a show out um but ultimately um when you have got more time um yeah it's more useful in that sense mm -hmm. um and and actually i it's the first time i've tackled a proper musical I, i've written a couple of musicals every year but I've, they're not really proper musicals but i've done some stuff over the years um but there is a, a play that I, i've wanted to write for 20 years and i think doing the musical this time around um was <laughs> in a way it was stopping me doing that because uh, I feel like I'm almost ready to write it, but mm -hmm. not yet. But that will be my absolute baby. Right, okay. Um, and so there is something to be said. Like I say that it doesn't always work, This all you trying to be all parts, but there is something about doing a production for yourself, for you. You have an idea for something creative that you want to put on as a performer. Yeah. No one else is there behind you to do all the other steps. So go out there and do it yourself. Yeah. So with this musical, are you going to be in the musical? Would you, would that be a dream? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that I haven't specifically written the main part for myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, as as the time's gone on, um, there is a there's an, there's another part in it that mm -hmm. um would be quite comical if I did it. Um, and I am sort of starting to think i might do that mm. um yeah because it's hard for as, as a performer we sit around and i don't want to say we sit around and wait but we are seeking permission to be part of someone else's thing mm. and that doesn't always happen for us does it no <laughs> i mean <laughs> you talk about me in the playhouse pantomime specifically i'm, talk I'm talking about all, all all of us as performers as me as an actor my last 20 years i was i went out there asking to be part of yeah. part of other people's projects it's um it's I mean, it's been difficult for me in the sense that uh, i i hated the big casting calls i mm. hated the go and line up for auditions go in do 10 seconds when you spent four hours in the cold outside waiting mm. um and actually there's some new performers that, that i'm collaborating with on a kind of west end brunch type thing um I, and I, last week, one of those girls spent three days um, out at open auditions, and I kind of hated that. But I, and and then I I think I did get a bit lazy about it because then. But what I did do is that when you do get cast in something, um, luckily people quite liked working with me, so um, <laughs> I did tend to when you see my performing CV, it is sort of over and over the same companies because <laughs> once they. Uh, once you get your name out there and people enjoyed working with you, then you'll do a good job. Um, so I think my last audition was probably about 20 years ago <laughs> because, uh, I mean, open audition. Mm -hmm. uh, because then you'd go in and, and, well, I mean, sometimes quite often people just are thinking, well, they'll cast you if they're going to take something on. I know JP will do that part or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, because I was, I was never a lead, I was always a character actor. So, you know, I, I was like the, the funny and the fluff normally for about 25 minutes of stage time, <laughs> which was fantastic. I mean, I 
particularly liked anything that I was killed off by in the interval, which was quite, <laughs> um, quite good. I didn't like. Them you can have your moment to shine. You can have your time, and then and then sit up in the dressing room uh, drinking and I, having I mean, fun. And I mean, Martin, having yeah. the dressing room before, you know, I never drink in the dressing room. Uh, and <laughs> definitely no lie in that whatsoever. We've never done that. No, obviously. it was a long, long time ago in a, a galaxy ago. in a galaxy far, far away. That was a that was a car. That was. When we were young, <laughs> I, actually, I have to say, I think my part around that time, my parties were quite legendary. They uh, were. I, I are we ready for a reminiscing? <laughs> are we moving to? Are we moving? Are we going back? We've done with the now. Oh, are we going to reminisce, JP? Oh, we can do. We're going to. We can so they, do. They, they, if you'd like to. Yeah, it'll be, that, that's what I was actually looking forward to with seeing you today. Was was going back to those 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 beginning days of theatre. Like, so was. Before I had grey hair. So we met in a in a show called The Mysteries. We did. Which was in 2000. Was that when it was? It was in 2000, oh yeah. Nearly um, a quarter of a century. Isn't that, isn't that... That is very strange. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I was 16. How old were you at that time? 2000. Uh, 2000, I'd been 18, 19. Okay. Yeah, so 18, was that for you the beginning of your performing life? Well, no, because I'd done um, I'd done choir stuff for Joseph, uh, so it's part of the choir, the kids of the choir. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you say Joseph, Joseph, Joseph in the technical dream coat, yeah, was and what in a amateur production of that? No, at the Palladium. At the Palladium. Yeah. yeah okay, so yeah. you're at the Palladium in but London. Obviously, not. Um, there wasn't any acting role, basically. I mean, you. You're just the kids, right? Yes, and, yeah. Ah, oh, that's yeah. it. And the whole, <laughs> so you got you got part. you got thrown into that at quite a young age, did you? Yeah. You, you, your your parents saw that that was you were a performer. No, they were dead against it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely dead against it. Hated it. Hated having to get me there. Hated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, thought it wasn't a proper career. Um, yeah, I thought quite teeth and because I, I really wanted so you to go were to the it. one that wanted this. Yeah, I, I, I remember there was. Um, so <laughs> when I was at primary school, I had a um, a teacher called Mrs. Owers, who she, she was the class one uh, teacher, Joyce Owers, this is at Holy Cross School. And um, and she was also, so she was my first ever teacher, she was my class one teacher, but she was also the sort of music teacher. Them days, every there was always one teacher who played the piano, assembly, whatever else. Um, and, she, and I had, and in them days, I had a lovely voice. Um, and so uh, she really sort of nurtured that and, and sort of would give me, like, you know, really good parts in different things. That There weren't an awful lot of shows at our school. Um, and I remember she saying some point to, to my parents, you know, I think he'd really enjoy theatre school. Um, <laughs> and I would have, really. And I mm. plagued them. And uh, they were like, no, you're not going away to school, whatever else. <laughs> Um, and then I sort of did do some other bits. Um, so I'd, I'd sort of done that and blagged that. And then from that, there were th- Oliver was going on at the time. I think it was at the Royal Jury Lane. Um, and then I did quite a lot of open auditions and uh, for Dodger. Um, and I got quite far into it every time I did it, but never quite cast as Dodger. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'd done some little bits and pieces around it. Um, and then that was kind of it. Well, then my voice broke, or didn't break, because you're supposed to stop singing for a year, and I didn't, but I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I'm still quite high up the register <laughs> now, just speaking. Uh, so I did that, and um, then a, sh- a play came up 
with John Harris at the Playhouse with Animal Farm, which was so. Then you start. Then you started finding the the local community yeah. theatre, right? Yeah, because it wasn't something that I really knew sort of existed. If mm-hmm. you see what I mean. I mean, I'd been to the West End, so I knew that was there. Yes. Um, yeah. I used to go to uh, the Playhouse Panto and or. or kids shows that would be on TV mm-hmm. that would then transfer to the, the Playhouse, whatever else. But um, it never really occurred to me that there was a way into stuff like that. And then I heard about this audition. I went for this open audition and I was cast as boxer uh, in Animal Farm, um, which was quite a big part. And also it was quite a tear-jerking part. And so it was kind of... I think I was always a bit of a performer, and you can read into that gobby show-off. <laughs> um and and so even even really quite young, I was used to getting laughs, sort of at 12, 13. I was the kind of clown, if you like. Um, but not really having emotion in any other sense from an audience. And so obviously Boxer dies and whatever. And, 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 and it was quite, I was like, oh, that's different. And then I really looked more into theatre, mm. I mean, as opposed to just musicals and singing, which is what I loved. Um, yeah, and then I think it was the next show or a couple of shows later. Then we met on the on the main stage at the Playhouse. Yeah, and was it the mysteries that we started? It, with? it was the mysteries where it all started. Where it started. Where it started for me. That's for for oh. sure. And I was cast as your father. He was. Who yes. had to and kill you. It's, it's funny because I don't have any memories of like the rehearsal period. I remember the show. Yeah. I remember me and you would walk around it. We we did, had this. It was a it was a collection of short stories from the Bible, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. None of us were re- particularly like it was. We were doing it because we were religious, were we? Or it wasn't being put on for a religious event, was it? No. No. I, I, don't, I don't even think it was it Easter or was it summer? I can't remember. No, I don't think it had any particular time. I just think the director and the person that was putting this together, Lawrence. Yeah. Um, who was a great mentor to yeah. to all of us, wasn't he, was, he Lawrence? Yeah. Um. And yeah, he fe- he had this play where he could get a large collection of the youth from the town together, yeah, and give them give them something to do, <laughs> yeah, and give every give everyone their opportunity to shine and have their moment, yeah, didn't he? And who wanted to be in the studio squirting each other at Bugsy Me Lane? We'd much rather be doing <laughs> religious epics, <laughs> yes, at yeah. 12, 13, 14. <laughs> but uh, I think in the it was, I, I think, uh, but I think it was that moment to shine for all of us. In that production, yeah. there was, I, th- I think there was like 30 to 40 young people in it. It was big, wasn't it? It was, and, and I think... And we all had a we all had a scene, a small story, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, and I think that's true in the sense that we were sort of all lead roles, mm. weren't we, for... Yeah, so just to, to dive straight into... <laughs> yeah, to dive straight in and have a, yeah, a lead role, that was quite a clever thing to do, actually, yeah. wasn't it? It was, and actually, it was, um, it was really interesting. One of the things that I regret about that show is um, I, I never really saw... I think it must be quite interesting from an audience point of view because also we were never out the front watching it. <laughs> so, mm, yeah. um, and and you, you're sort of in the dressing room listening for your cues for <laughs> where we are. And <laughs> God, I remember this guy <laughs> saying that. It, it's really taking me back now. There was this guy that didn't come on, did it? Do you remember? Do you, do you remember? There was like this table scene. And we're all, one at a time, we've all got like a little thing to say. Yeah. And the guy on the end of the table is not there. Yeah. So we're watching it. <laughs> Each person say their line. And it gets to my line, I say my line, and the next person, and I'm thinking, how's this going to end if he's not there? And he walks on 
for his line and sits down. The, the, the one that I the one that I remember about that play with, with you was um, was I, I'm about to kill you or sacrifice you to mm. to 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 show to God that I'm willing to do anything that God says. Um, and so I sort of put this sword above my head and I need to bring it down. And as I bring it down, an angel of mercy is meant to appear and mm-hmm. stop me. And I remember one night <laughs> I had the sword up there above my head and I'm about to bring it down. And I look to the, uh, I look, look up to the gods to where the angel's supposed to appear. And I just <laughs> see she's not there. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> so am I going to cut his head off? I don't know. If I swing this now, there's literally no one to shout stop. Yeah. So um, I, I, I think I started making up work. I think I started making uh, yeah, up, and yeah. I walking around and, and sort of doing this angst in my head about uh, can, uh, I, uh, can I kill can him? I kill Shall him? I kill him? <laughs> and I'm just there to waiting. See you look at me going. What the bloody hell are you doing? <laughs> like this, you know, I appreciate your action, but this is no time to improvise. And then I'm yeah. thinking about a minute into it, you'd looked up to where, where and you were like, oh yeah, she isn't there. Right? <laughs> so, and I think it was Emma her name, wasn't it? Yes, I can't remember. Yeah, Emma. So um, <laughs> she wasn't there. And so I, I think I had lived for about three minutes <laughs> just on this internal angst, only to then see this like white sheet come through the curtain and go, Christ for that. <laughs> so then did it and then uh, I was about to bring it down. But And actually that in itself as well is really telling because what do you do? In that situation, you learn. You're learning. We were in a position where we were learning so much that we we didn't realise it at the time. It was yeah. all fun and games, but we came away with these massive life skills. Massive life skills. One in confidence, because mm. prior to that, my confidence was, you know, I wouldn't say boo to a goose. Like yeah, I was, I was quiet, really, yeah. really quiet. Um, and then, yeah, and then having this this sense of yeah, that uh, it, the powerfulness almost that I can I can do something. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to drive that forward in the with the with the rest of my life. And I also remember that show. It was, I remember Lawrence. There being a massive intake of breath from those assembled mm. uh, when he said there wasn't going to be a prompt. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't any prompts in his shows. Yeah. So it was uh, us on the stage. Yeah. With the spotlight on us, doing yeah. uh, doing the thing that we practice and rehearse. Yeah. And we we had to pull it off didn't we and actually as a consequence <laughs> anything i've ever directed i've never had a prompt no no i Be- would never because either. actually the thing is there are enough people on stage to help you out if you need to mm-hmm. if you really and we all dry occasionally don't we yeah um or have their moments where someone doesn't come on where they're meant to come on <laughs> or have their moments where uh halfway through <laughs> <laughs> halfway through a play I did about a page and a half dialogue from a different play <laughs> wow, that was, uh, and actually it is really weird the way that um, even speeches or pieces of text I find this particularly with Shakespeare um, that I can't remember I don't know my phone number right? but you remember the Shakespeare occasionally yes, like, like literally this is weird right I can just do it now but soft. Yeah. What light free on the window exactly. breaks. From Romeo and Juliet in two, 2000. That was yeah. the next show that we did together where you was the Friar Lawrence and I was Romeo. Yeah. And I can't remember all the entirety, but I can remember... I think I think we should have a we should see what you remember now. now <laughs> Shall I do my one first? Uh, <laughs> go on, go on. You the do you go first. And night's dank due to dry. I must upfill this osier cage of ours with baleful weeds and precious juiced flowers. From fo- oh, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but 
Yeah. How many years ago was that? Yeah, yeah. Must be. Can I have a Can I have a go? Because yeah, I want to see if I can yeah. do this. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and watch the silver moon, who is sick and envious with grief that thou her maid art far more fair than she. Be not her maid, since she is envious. Her vessel livery is but sick and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. It is my angel. Oh, it is my love. Oh, that she knew she were. She speaks, yet she says nothing. What of that? How was that stored in there? (laughs) No, no, no. I know that was wrong. I know that there was. I know that that was wrong. That was wrong in the performance and the delivery, and but it was stored away somewhere up here for twenty. 22 years and I haven't had I haven't had a need to I think I used it in a few auditions afterwards but I really haven't had a need in 20 years to pull that out and it just came so why (laughs) I I know absolutely crazy and Mm. and yeah if someone introduced me someone in a pub last night and said this is my girlfriend Emma or Hannah or Patrice or whatever the next time I meet I go what's her name (laughs) do you know what I mean I wouldn't remember someone's name in their face but um, yeah, I know it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. I think I think when I think when we have a period of time when we we focus so much on something, I think we can almost like file that away for storage and like maybe our brain goes right. This is important. We need to keep this. Yeah. Although my brain tends to keep it's not important, <laughs> I think. It's like, you've got a doctor's appointment on Thursday, I'll forget I'll that. I'll forget but, that one. But I will remember yeah. Fry Lawrence's speech, yeah. his little death speech from you know, yeah. 22 years and ago. And again, that was another moment where it's, it's a Lawrence who led that young people's theatre. Really, he really knew what he was doing with us, didn't he? He really pulled, pulled together a, a family of young people who became really close friends who all supported each other. Yeah, he had this way to create a team, didn't he? Yeah, and, I, and oh, you'll remember as well, I famously didn't want to do it. Mm. Um, I mean, I'd really enjoyed The Passion Place and The Mysteries, whatever we call it, The Mysteries, but they are effectively The Passion Place. Um, but I really didn't want to do Shakespeare. I really didn't want to do it. Um, and Yeah, and, and I hated Shakespeare. Do you know what? I hated Shakespeare at school. Yeah. I was, it was, it was torture sitting me in that room where you sat down at a desk and the English teacher made you read some Shakespeare. Yeah. And so, and I, and I actually told Lawrence I wasn't doing it. Mm. Um, Twice, I think I said to him I wasn't doing it. No, you'll be really, and you and Martin are great together and you'll be fine with this. And and that's basically this and whatever. Um, And I I, I remember Michael Bramwell, who who used to be at Harlow Ballet Association, saying to me at some point, um, oh, I've always sort of seen Fry Lawrence's with a kind of West Country, country accent. <laughs> uh, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to do that. I'm <laughs> going into one of the first rehearsals and, and just speaking my lines with this kind of West Country farmer's accent. And Lawrence going, what the bloody hell are you doing? <laughs> um, and I was like, well, I suppose Michael Brown, he said, listen, you know, that's not how... That's not how you come to a part. You you need to find the part yourself and mm-hmm. whatever else. Um, and and through exploration of the text as we've gone on, and, and what Lawrence was also very good at was, there's a line written down, um, bell for weeds and precious juiced flowers. It doesn't mean a lot to us, but when he would say, well, but, but this is what it means. Um, and then actually there was this kind of botanical bent 
which then could lead in to Friar Lawrence being a bit of a gardener, could be a bit of a farmer, could be a bit West Country. Mm. Um, and I think I, I tried to do... <laughs> Quite you do know this accent. is all online, don't you? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> do you know this? That this, this is on YouTube? What? Romeo and Juliet and the Mysteries is on, it's on YouTube. Are they? Yeah, yeah. I, oh. put, I put them on YouTube about 15 years oh, ago. I, and actually, I think I did remember Romeo and Juliet, but mm. I didn't remember... I'll, I send, you, I'll, I'll right. send you links. Oh, that's it's <laughs> um, But I remember there was, uh, there was somebody who was my mate at the time uh, saying to me that... Every scene was about what accent was JP going to do this scene because <laughs> it had gone from, from West Country to farmer to Irish to Northern to Welsh. Yeah, um, yeah. I discovered quite early then that um, accents were more difficult than I thought they were going to be. Mm. Um, but actually, it was quite useful because then I think I was a bit horrified by <laughs> watching it back at the time. Uh, that it then did kind of make me um, really. And now I'm quite good at accents, but I, I clearly wasn't then. <laughs> <laughs> and then do you... I, I'm, so I'm having so many flashbacks now. I'm remembering... That was my first brushes with some celebrities as well at that time. Cause That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, <laughs> well, you know. Thank you. I, 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 that's at the top of my CV. <laughs> Worked with JP. Well, absolutely true. <laughs> um yeah, <laughs> Paul Daniels. Do you remember the Paul Daniels oh, God, moment? I do remember the Paul Daniels moment. Where we uh, we came off from our scene and Paul Daniels was just standing next to the dressing room. It was like very surreal yeah. that we walked out and next to our dressing room, Paul Daniels was just leant up against the wall. And we I had a quick change and I'm trying to get dressed. And I think you said to him, oh, he's got, he's got like 10 seconds before he's got to get. And all of a sudden, Paul Daniels is there with my trousers. <laughs> helping me true, helping yeah. me get into my trousers that was actually and true. i was like this is this is weird this but do is you remember my gag? surreal gone do you remember my gag with paul daniels because uh I, and I, I i have to say it, it's not as organic as i may have led people to be because i actually said to someone because he was still in the wings watching what we were doing and um as we come off, he was being, he was actually really nice. He, he was, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh very good whatever and i got one of the girls and i said ask him did he like it and uh so she said, uh, did you like it? And I went, he did, but not a lot. Because like Paul Daniels' catchphrase used to be, you'll like this, not a lot. Right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and everyone, God, that's a really dated joke now, isn't it? But I remember that it actually brought the house down and, and he gave me a wink. And it was like a wink that it was just like, yeah. you'll go far, my son. And actually, yes, it's yeah. so crazy, I remember it. Yeah, it's funny. In that, in that same evening, I had, in that one evening, I had two very polar opposite, moments i had i had someone like paul daniels he he came and gave me like a pat on the shoulder and again you'll go far keep stick at this mm. like for you to be doing romeo and juliet at 16 you know the, the, from here it's it can only get better keep going and i remember that but on the same evening i also bumped into louis Theroux. louis through yeah because do you remember it was um because it was debbie's new ballet or ballet imaginaire. Yes, that's what she'd always want. That's to do. what and they were doing on the main. So they were on the main stage on the big. Right. Yeah. You know, like how many seats are in there? 400, 500. Yeah, 450, something. Like yeah, that. something yeah. like that. They're they're busy doing that on the main stage and doing a documentary about it with Louis Farouk. Yeah. Whilst we're upstairs in the studio space, which has about fifty seats. Yeah. Um, but then we all came into the bar together to have like this. We were having our after show, and they're having their after show. Yeah. And so, yeah, you could have these moments with, yeah. And it was crazy, uh, and I, I sort of, I remember talking to Lee through quite a lot actually, mm. 
Um, who was actually very loving and very generous. Oh, see, see, this is what I was going to say about, for me, polar opposite moments. Oh, right. I had a, a kind of, so I had that nice moment with Paul Daniels where he gave me a bit of encouragement. And then I went over to Louis Farouk. And I was quite nervous. I was like, oh, this is that guy off TV that just did the Jimmy Savile document. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that had only been on recently. God, the, yeah. the hu- it was a massive mm. documentary. Like, the whole country watched it, didn't they? The and, Jimmy. And, and he was with Neil and Christine Hamilton when they got arrested. That's right, yeah. So he was huge at that time. And he's made a bit of a come... He's kind of come back now. Yeah. He's very popular now. And he's he's a great interview, and I do admire his style. But at the time, I didn't... I knew I just wanted to speak to him, but I didn't know what I wanted to say. Mm. And I just said something like, oh, was, was um, Jimmy Savile really like that? And he just looked at me and he went, what kind of a question is that? <laughs> so wait, did he say that to you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to say hello. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, but I was really kind of like on a downer from that. I yeah. was like, you know, just been like booted away. Um, he actually told me to go. He actually said, go, go away and rethink the question <laughs> like that. And I was a bit like, wow. Oh, OK. And, and do you know what? I think somewhere in my mind, I've been rethinking the questions ever since, which has led me to this. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So I, my brain has been working on that slowly to rethink the questions. And I think potentially <laughs> what may have happened, it, it may have depended how you know what kid number you were that went up to it yes exactly because i went yeah. up to him quite early on so i was probably yeah. one of the first people to speak to and him he'd probably and spent 15 minutes with you <laughs> and he was, <laughs> and he was like oh bloody hell and he's like, one. oh god i've got to do them all now so yes, but he yeah. was probably quite dismissive because he was also trying to make a documentary yeah no, yeah of course no no the crew were all around at the <laughs> yeah, time and we're all we're all like uh, mr louis Farouk having him on the shoulder yeah so no i don't i don't take it in like a personal way that i'm putting him down and saying he's not a nice person like he clearly is a he clearly is a genuine person and he's a great interviewer but as a 16 year old that that put me on the back foot and um but however in some strange way made me think yeah and pushed me forward and so i guess the i guess the thing is when, when you had a warm experience with paul daniels and a less warm one with louis <laughs> Theroux. but i i guess the point is from which conversation did you take more out of mm. you, you know because you were saying in lots of ways i'm Still asking the questions now, or thinking about, and what a great lesson to learn so early on to yeah. actually ask. A bit, I remember when I was in politics in Harlow, mm-hmm. uh, first of all. And um, so, how did you jump from being this theatrical person to going, right now I'm going to do politics? How did that happen? By complete accident. Um, by complete accident, and then I got annoyed, and then I got really bloody annoyed. And with with the political landscape? Yeah. And so uh, I was actually working, I was working as a youth worker uh, for the council at the time. So I was a council employee. Um, and there was some funding that was kind of pulled that was meant to be there that was going to affect young people. Um, and it was about going on a trip to um, an orphanage in Romania, that was going to be match funded and, and that it was match funded by Essex money and some other money and then some Harlow Council money. And they decided that something, I can't remember the exact but but basically the budgets had been overspent elsewhere. So they were clawing back additional spend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sort of really involved in this and I, I was really furious about it. And I, and I went to the then chair of the council um, to ask what could we do for us. And I went to the leader of the council um, both of whom were quite dismissive um, and I was really pissed off <laughs> so uh, I 
the next thing I did, I don't even know, like, because I was a very lowly youth worker. I was like the, probably the bottom rung of the council. Mm-hmm. Um, and I demanded a meeting with the chief executive who quite rightly <laughs> said no. Uh, and then one day I walked from <laughs> my office, which was just underneath the Kaja house, to um, to the new town hall. And I just went into the chief executive's office uh, and told him I was resigning and that he was useless and that politics was useless. Um, and I went from there to the elections office and picked up an election pack. And I'd intended to stand as an independent. Um, and the, the chair of the council, who'd really annoyed me because he was quite dismissive of me, um, I, I, that was the seat I chose. Um, and so I, I, I went on this... Uh, I, and then I was adopted by a political party, which I wasn't expecting. Um, and... Uh, I gave it a massive campaign and lost, um, but he lost as well. And so someone else had come through the middle because I'd taken so many votes off him, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of my point. That was kind of it. I was done. I, I stood up, I'd have made a point and that's what I was going to do. Um, and then uh, after that, people had said, well, you know, you've brought a lot of young people in and, and, and there seems to be something there. You're probably too good to walk away from this. Why don't you try and apply and get what's known as a safer seat or a, a safe seat or, or a slightly more winnable seat? Because we're never going to win from where I, the seat that I'd chosen, particularly if you do it from a political party standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was convinced I'd do one more year. I'd try one more year. Um, so I did. And um, won. And, and it was, and that's when um, a nightmare for a lot of Harlow council <laughs> councillors and uh, officers, particularly, began. They had then had four years of absolute hell. Right. And what gave you the confidence to be so def- decisive with this? I don't. I, I blagging probably. Mm-hmm. Is the truth of it? I think I, I also but that 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 blagging requires confidence. So what? Where do you think that was established within you? I, I think the truth is of it, it the link of the theatre. Well, I mean, I certainly it's a lot. It's just a lot of the same role, isn't it? Really, because quite a lot of the time you're standing up saying a script that you might not always 100 percent believe in, but <laughs> that is the line. Therefore, that is the script. Mm. Um, and but I was one of those ones that I definitely had my arguments privately. Uh, as if you ever interview Andrew Johnston again, you can ask because <laughs> uh, as he was leader and I was deputy leader. But then because I became deputy leader quite quickly, just it was all very strange. It was all a bizarre thing. Um, but I think the truth of it was um, having gone to a lot of the meetings, gone to a lot of committees, and I did do that for over a year because I, I, I said if I was going to get elected, I wanted to not then get, I wanted to do things. I didn't want to then spend the next 18 months, two years learning about where, I wanted to know where everything was and where policy situations were so that I could think about how you make stuff better. Um, And I think the truth of it is, and this is no slight, well, I guess it is kind of a slight, but um, the talent that was on, the talent that was on Harlow Council at that particular time, and I don't think Harlow's unique in this aspect, I think if there's ever a point if you're sat across from 12 people debating a subject and thinking, is there anything you've got to say that's valuable or more valuable um, than what they're saying? Or if you've got a different idea. And actually the truth was, 
um, the skills base on local council was very, very low. I mean, I mean, they were very well-meaning, in most instances, pensioners mm-hmm. um, that had time to give up, but they weren't really that bothered. And um, I mean, I'm sure they were in lots of ways, but I guess what was really important to me, um, you know, everyone loves Pets Corner, everyone loves the Playhouse, whatever else. Um, and I, I remember, but actually there was a big fight to keep them open, mm-hmm. like a massive fight. Um, and actually it looked at one point like the play, well, first of all, the playhouse did close before my time on the council mm-hmm. um, and then was reopened. And then there was another time when I think a hundred thousand pounds was taken from the budget um, and speaking to people that I trusted was effectively going to lead to the playhouse closing. And it was almost like no one had seen this coming. Uh, and, and, and so there was like a scrutiny meeting uh, and it's the longest ever meeting of a Harlow Council. It went 14 hours. Wow. Um, uh, chaired by absolutely the, the, the incomparable and fantastic Nick Churchill, uh, who chaired, called that meeting, chaired that meeting um, and reversed a result um, that effectively... Uh, was part of his own party uh, because the chair of environment is the committee it went through. That was a, a conservative. Um, and these were the days when the conservative and liberal Democrats were in coalition with each other. Um, so effectively it was reversing their own policy, as it were. Um, and it caused a lot of consternation. Hmm. But it's no, it's, no, um, it's no exaggeration to say without Nick Churchill, um, probably the playhouse and definitely pets corner would be closed Mm -hmm. why do you think that there's so much the the community have so much love for these local things like the theaters and the local local farms and the local community spaces there's a lot of love from the community for that yeah but then there doesn't seem to be always quite so much love from the people in that are holding the purse strings because they're holding the purse strings uh, and and so what was interesting, I mean, what was remarkable about my time arriving at the council was I was declared the winner at about 20 past one in the morning at the Latin Bush Centre on election night. That's when my count came through. Um, and then we went back and had some drinks and, um, I, and I felt a bit worse for wear. And at eight o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on the door in which this person sitting in front of me gave me a brown envelope mm-hmm. uh, and I opened it and it was to tell me that um, Harlow Council had been inspected previously um, and it hadn't been made public yet, but it had failed the inspection. It was poor. It was in the bottom 10% of local authorities in the country uh, and potentially was going to go into special measures, um, which effectively meant... Uh, I was a councillor, just been elected for four years, but effectively um, I may be thrown off the council and a government inspector come in and run Harlow Council. Um, now, the council had been mismanaged for many, many years and mm-hmm. the council finances were in real problems and there was about a £2 million black hole. And so I'd said to you, I'd spent 18 months sitting about what I want to do when I get on the council, whatever else, and the truth is, nearly everything I wanted to do cost money. <laughs> so I was looking for budget increases where there was a £2 million black hole. And, and so before we did anything, we had to try and find that money. Mm. Um, 
And we were in opposition at the time that it was then a liberal Labour coalition. Um, so I was, um, I, I was in the opposition and the uh, opposition get two chairmanships of committees uh, called scrutiny committees. And I was made the chairman of one and Nick Church was made the chairman of the other. But my what? But Nick's one was calling. So it's only if an issue arises that, you know, if there's no issue arise, then there's no, um, there's no meeting that year for that committee um, unless something is called in. Whereas mm. I was a preview and best value scrutiny committee. So it was about, um, we had our own workload, but it, but it was chaired by the opposition. So I was the only permanent opposition chairman and I'd just been elected. So it was kind <laughs> of, um, it was quite a crazy time. Mm -hmm. um, but I made the most out of that opportunity. Um, and I don't know if you remember, there was this, what was called the Semalto exercise. It was about 500 people that were surveyed about what they wanted and, and that helped form what closed and what stayed open and mm -hmm. whatever else. And, it, and people were quite upset at the time because they, they might have had different answers. But I think what's difficult about it was you can love the Playhouse, you can love Pets Gone, you can love these kind of things. And actually, as a member of the council, because it, it's difficult when I say, oh, yeah, but I, I would say that, wouldn't I? But I didn't love the Playhouse any less. I didn't love Pets Gone any less than anyone else. But you are responsible for putting a budget together. And if you keep those things, which are expensive, um, what do you then do? There's only so much you can raise council tax. There's, um, and I think in those days, putting 1% on council tax would increase 60, would bring in 60,000 pounds. And I think you were capped at 3%. So the most you could bring in is 180,000 pounds a year just mm -hmm. from a, a tax increase. So what else do you cut if you've got a 2 million pound budget? Um, and I think what the other thing that it needed to do, and again, this is where Nick Churchill was brilliant. If you look at Pets Corner now, there's now a, um, there's now a classroom there, which Nick was really behind. Um, there's now a shop there, which Nick was really behind. And, and also he still works in that shop, mm -hmm. you know, as a volunteer, um, <clears throat> despite being a member of the council. Um, but his job was to go into Pets Corner and, and, and actually we used to call him the councillor for Pets Corner. You know, that was his <laughs> constituency, or they were the same ward as me and Summers and Kingsmore. Um, but, you know, it's really, it's really true that um, he is someone that was so influential mm -hmm. at, at that time in very small ways. Because if you're not involved in Pets Corner, you probably wouldn't know who Nick was unless you were in his ward because he was very active in the ward and he still is very active in the ward. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess from that point of view, it's, it's really tough and it's really easy to criticise. When people say to me, oh, we, we got rid of sand place or we got rid of community buildings, we did this and we did that and whatever else, because we, had, we didn't have any money. And, and the thing I would always say to them was, all right, well, fine, we won't make cuts there. You tell me what else we should cut. Because like, everyone wants to fight for their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, now, there's a lot that Harlow has in terms of things like the theatre, which is Harlow Council funded primarily, um, Pets Corner, things like the paddling pools around the town, the town park. Those are very expensive things. Um, and lots of other towns don't have them. And, and they are the sort of jewels in the crown of Harlow, mm -hmm. I think. Um, but other... I mean, it's a great example. Like Victoria Hall. 
right? I mean, you'd love another 150 grand a year from the council. Well, we don't get yeah. any money from no, the exactly, council. Exactly, yeah. right? But you've had to mm-hmm. find your way. Um, and so one of the things that Nick and I were very, um, and also Chris Ford and those were very keen on, was saying, yeah, Pets Corner, but let's do it. Let's get a shop at Pets Corner. because if Let's you get find other Corner, channels for the funding exactly to come through that. rather than it's, just, yeah. Exactly that. Um, and, and the Playhouse needed to do more commercially. Um and, and and I think and I think it did happen over time, but it was quite precarious. Um, and and then you know you're, you're basically. So I think the first headline I was ever included was when when the thing became public, was um, when the when the inspector, the report was made public. It was ship of fools or Harlow Council was a ship <laughs> of fools. And I was like, but I wasn't even here when this was <laughs> when this inspection was done, right? So in yeah, lots of ways, it did sort of make me. Um, quite a good person to help lead the recovery program mm-hmm. um, on the basis that, I mean, I mean trust between councillors and officers w- was at an all-time low. I mean, it, it's not exaggerating to say th- there was hatred for each other on both sides in lots of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I did think there was an element of, not because I was any better, but I was perhaps better placed to say, well, look, I wasn't here. I'm the one. Well, yeah, but the council, yeah, but I wasn't here then. Right, mm. so let's do. Let's go from now. Right, this is the change because if not, there would have been someone who's been on the council yes, for twenty yeah. years in my position. So, how did you move on from you were part of the local, you, the local um, government? How did you move from going local to then being a political visor higher up? How did that trans? How did that transform? Well, uh, I I really liked David Cameron, um, and quite early on, I thought. I thought he was going to be um, an eventual leader down the line. Um, and so I, I sort of made contact with him. Um, and it happened a lot more quickly than I thought it was going to. Um, because I think everyone assumed that David Davis would be the next leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly would have, wouldn't have been unhappy with David Davis as um, a leader. Um, and, but I sort of made it known to the people around um, David Cameron and I, I'd known Sam a bit as well in fact I probably knew Sam Cameron better than I knew David in lots of ways um, and, uh, and and George Osborne because they were still very close then and I had a lot of time for David I had no time for George <laughs> I mean I had a lot of time for him personally but I had no time for him politically mm-hmm. I thought he was a bit Snape Severus Snape you know the kind of snarly thing yes. um, and I, I've, t- I've, I've told him this recently so I'm not <laughs> I'm not and I still class him as you know someone that uh, I do like and respect um, but when DC said that he was gonna go for it I was I was really surprised because and he said would I join the campaign I said I would and and he said what do you think and I said I think you'll give a good showing but I th- you, you're gonna lose uh, <laughs> starting my my um, completely unbroken uh, chain of of calling so many political results wrong because <laughs> uh, I was never going to win myself and I told everyone I wasn't going to win the seat and I won it and, and then I said David Cameron wasn't going to beat David Davis and then he did and I said he wouldn't become prime minister straight mm-hmm. away and he, he did <laughs> so, <laughs> although we didn't actually win it out my majority in 2010 so um yeah, so I started advising the campaign, really. And I was sort of dealing stuff with campaign. And I, was, I was quite involved with the youth movement, the Conservative Future. I was chair initially in Harlow, and then I was president in Harlow. Um, and so I was bringing people to help and stuff. And then I went to conference. We were running around, and it felt quite important. Because I'm still quite young then, mm-hmm. but it felt like we were on the West Wing. You know, it was like... <laughs> oh, and, I, and I really loved, like, a proper campaign, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then when he sort of won the norm, when he won, when he became leader of the party, it was like bloody hell. Okay, like yeah. I mean, there's now going to be two prime ministers. There's going to be Gordon Brown, or there's going to be him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Nick Clegg popped up, and, and was it, do you remember when Nick Clegg was like everyone's favourite politician for about twenty minutes? Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. And he'd done this first debate, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, the Liberals are going to sweep to power." <laughs> and and even I thought that at one point. I thought, yeah. God, you know, like I think they might. Yeah, we do really, really well here. Um, mm. As it turned out, they they didn't really. <laughs> but then, then they were in government because there was a coalition. Um, and actually, I really loved that government. I I quite like coalitions. I know this is a terrible thing to say politically, <laughs> but I quite like coalitions because, particularly something like the, the the Tory Lib Dem coalition. What was great about it was when you're in a coalition and you've only got a certain amount of majority, it keeps the liberal left wing nutters quiet and shut up and it keeps the hard right tory nutters (laughs) quiet and shuts them up right because you need this kind of middle ground moderation in the middle Mm -hmm. to get things through and actually in lots of ways it's quite useful to let the right-wing tories go off and spout stuff and and the left-wing liberal to go and spout stuff because it plays to their bases individually Mm -hmm. but actually there's a lot of good government that's in moderation, in somewhere in the middle ground. And elections, Blair knew this, Cameron knew this, Boris Johnson knew this as well, um, that elections are won and lost in the centre ground of politics, right? Because most people aren't extreme. Mm. And for those that are, they're going to do their stuff anyway, right? So you're going to have people voting for Galloway or whatever else on the left, and you're going to have people voting for Farage and Tice on the right, you know? So, so they've got their natural homes anyway. There's always going to be a UKIP reform Brexit party on the right. There's always going to be an SWP, Socialist Alliance, Respect Party on the left, you know? So, so how has your time in theatre supported your time in politics? Um, is it essentially the same thing? Yeah, I think it is. But, but it's quite performative, isn't it? Mm. Um, and and so I think when... I mean, you've got to keep it in check and in confine because uh, you don't want to annoy anyone either in the theatre or in politics because they've all... Cause actors and politicians all have really long memories. Right? <laughs> There's something I'd said to a... I won't name this politician, but something I said to this politician over 20 years ago. Um, and and I don't. It's not like I see them particularly regularly, um, but um, I do see them ad hoc at dinners and things. Um, and every time they remind me of what I said, <laughs> <laughs> which I was right and I stand by, but I perhaps shouldn't have said it. Um, so I, I guess from that point of view, um, yeah, it is a bit of performance. Um, and also, I think that I think what is really crucial in this particularly true when I and then went to Boris's campaign for mayor um not for prime minister <laughs> I did work on his first mayoral campaign on the again continuing my unbroken streak of uh, because I, I thought I thought he'd be the Tory that would lose the least <laughs> um because there's no way he could win London because right. London is a Labour city mm-hmm. um and and you don't go from absolute left-wing bastion that's just been voted in twice for Ken Livingstone uh, to then <laughs> a, a, a right wing, well, sort of centre right days he was in them days because Boris is actually quite liberal, mm-hmm. um, but Etonian, you know, blah blah blah, right, whatever else. And but I but I thought it'd be a hugely fun three months to work on the campaign. Um, and there was people like Jonathan Isaby from Telegraph who was encouraged to run. I encouraged him to run. There was a few others that encouraged him to run. And then I, I'd gone off to I was in. Um, 
Norfolk at that point. Because in between times, I then went and worked on Hillary's presidential campaign. When I left Harlow Council in 2008, I went mm -hmm. straight to work for uh, Hillary's campaign in America, which was an incredible year. Um, <laughs> and so when I come back, um, I'd gone then to do my law degree, which I'd put off year after year because I was doing council stuff because I was never meant to get elected. Because I was met, I was actually elected in the May. I was meant to go to university that September. Mm -hmm. But then I got elected, so I couldn't <laughs> go. So I put it on hold for four years and then Hillary's campaign another year. Um, so I arrived sort of Christmas time 2008, um, in, sorry, 2009, uh, in, um, at university, three months late, uh, to start my law degree. Um, and, and, and it was just the craziest amount of time. Um, but particularly what was true in Boris's campaign, and, and to bring you back to the question you asked, sorry, I'm being a rambling now. No, that's okay. Um, no, yeah, I'm, I'm following you. Uh, but I think what happened there was um, people had contacted me and said, have you seen, uh, I can't remember what poll it was, but there's a poll... And I was like, no, I've looked, no, it's, it's not been released yet, but I'm hearing um, Boris and Ken on neck and neck. And I said, well, someone's got that wrong, right? That's, that's uh, anyway, he rang me back and he said, no, they, uh, no, oh, he said, we are wrong. I said, oh, I thought so. He said, yeah, Boris is leading Ken by a point. And I said, there's absolutely no way that's true. Mm -hmm. um, and then this sort of person said to me, I feel like we need to go and work on the campaign. I said, well, if, they, if, if it's true and they are neck and neck and, and it's been done by well-meaning amateurs at this point, mm -hmm. um, what's the point? Like, they're also doing fair amount. So I think we've got... We all encouraged him to do it because we didn't think he'd win. But now he's... We had one... We, we had one policy, which was, let's get rid of bendy buses. That's, that's all Boris had when he stood for Maryland. He's got a thing about buses, hasn't he? He loves buses. <laughs> but let's get rid of bendy buses. That was the only policy we effectively had to run into a mayoral campaign. Hmm. Um, but then people said, I think, I think we should go and get him over the line. So I, I went to the head of the law school and I said, look, this is the situation... Um, and he was absolutely furious that I was going to go and do it. I think if I was going to go do it for Ken Livingston, he'd give me an extended <laughs> six months off and probably a holiday to Barbados. But the fact <laughs> I was going to go work for Boris. Uh, but he he gave me three months off. And um, and so I, I came back to London, uh, left Norfolk and came back to London and uh, and joined the campaign. And unbelievably, he won. Uh, and I, I still couldn't believe it. And yeah. actually, you know, it's not a popular opinion uh, in fact, saying nice about Boris isn't very popular these days, <laughs> and and particularly his time in number ten. I, I am with the majority view on that, and I think it was, which is also why I, I wouldn't work on his campaign for prime minister. The fact I was asked uh, because I didn't so you do choose a political allegiance when you are being an advisor. Y yeah, uh, but I, I do now mm -hmm. uh, on the basis that <laughs> I've got some credibility and I can choose now. Yes. Whereas uh, there is certain campaigns that I'd worked on previously where, um, well, if you, if you want the money, then you've just got to so suck it, it. So it sounds very similar to my, to my acting career. <laughs> it's so it? true. There's this part at the beginning where you've got to go, you've got to take any role that you can get yeah. and be, be on, like you, you've got to be on any team you can be on to get started. But then you get a point to a point in your life where like, it's like, now I'm going to choose what's right for me. Yeah, mm. it's true. And actually you can, you sort of, um, so the biggest one for that was, um, was Hillary's first campaign 
um, although I didn't work, I mean, eventually, you know, we lost to Obama, right? So that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, the second campaign, they lost to Trump. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that is what it is. Um, it's, but that was something that I was really committed in. I, and actually, I mean, politics in the US and, and politics here, despite, uh, take all the policy out of it, just the way it works. Is fascinating, mm-hmm. um, and obviously I'm, I'm quite. Well, it is more a theatre. I, I feel like we're mirroring more how they do it in the US. Slowly, drips and drabs are coming over here of how they do it over there. For instance, what started in the last sort of ten years are these debates that we have yeah. now, where they stand up behind a podium and they debate against each other. Yeah, that is something that's only that's only in the last ten years, but they've been doing that for a long time in the US. Yeah, I mean, there was always a presidential debate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I'd i quite like an actual debate. I don't think in America or in um, or in Britain we actually have a proper debate. I think what we have is a series of sound bites with people stood behind podiums. But mm-hmm. I quite like there to be an actual debate between uh, two people. But, uh, but They I think shy away from it, don't they? Yeah, I think it's good for democracy. But it, because I think there's also an element of um, actually... You know, there's always that's always the same setup, isn't it? Right? There's two lecterns or three lecterns, and then there's a roving moderator. It's normally a news presenter or whatever else. It's questions from the audience. Can I ask candidate A? Can I ask candidate B? And they give a question back. Whereas, what I'd quite like is they say to me, "Well, how are you going to pay for that then? Or what have you thought about this? Or what have you thought about?" And give them a chance to debate each other. Mm. You know. Um, now, having said that, uh, I'd like that as a member of the public. If I was uh, advising a President, a presidential campaign or a, a prime ministerial campaign, I'd say, absolutely not, we're not signing up to that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> Actually, these days, I probably would say we should do it because mm-hmm. I think it would be ballsy and gutsy. And, and, and actually, I feel like whoever campaign I'd work on now, I genuinely believe they would be the best for the job. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is quite difficult is if you look at, uh, where I do think American politics and British politics are similar now, is the next president of the United States is going to be Joe Biden or Donald Trump. The next prime minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland is going to be Rishi Sunak or Keir Starmer. Um, For two of the biggest jobs in the world, um, American president, arguably the biggest job in the world, that's not an awful lot of talent. Hmm. I mean, they are, it is a lesser... A A lesser of two evils. Lesser of two evils choice, isn't it? And I think... And why is that increasingly happening? um, Well, I I think whether you support Nigel Farage or you don't support Nigel Farage, um, whatever you think about his views, he is very effusive. He has got a real personality. Boris had a real personality. Uh, Trump, whether you support him or not, has got a real personality. Uh, and people know them. Uh, and the, the hardest thing in politics is name recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the truth of it really is um, to get far, but they are the exceptions to the rule, because to get far, you need to be quite bland. You need to not kind of be too out there on one wing or the other. I mean, the Tory what, party... right now? Would you say that's yeah. the case right now? I mean, this in this country? Yeah. But not, not, you know, not in the States. Listen, if you look at this week with Rishi and the Rwanda vote, mm-hmm. half his party are furious that they think this is not a liberal, nice way for a liberal democracy to function by sending people 
to Rwanda, mm-hmm. um, who will only get back unless they commit a crime. So you're encouraging them to commit a crime. And half of them are trying to hold them hostage, saying, this doesn't go anywhere near far enough. And that's one party. Mm. Whereas effectively, when you've got the ERG, the sort of Brexit kind of groups, you've got the moderate groups, and then you've got the fiscal conservatives, whatever, there's probably three or four parties within the Conservative Party. And, and the same is true with Labour. You know, I mean, you've got um, Starmer, who's kind of quite moderate, quite centrist. But it was just, it was just led by the most left-wing politician we've ever seen in, in, a, in political high office uh, as leader of a party since Michael Foote in the 70s. Mm. <laughs> Do you see yeah. what I mean? So it's, um, I think you've got to be a bit bland. And I think what, where it is different is Blair had personality um, and he particularly had personality against John Major. Cameron had personality and he particularly had it against Gordon Brown who was seen as quite dour and whatever, even if people thought he was good with the finances or a good chancellor or whatever else, he, he never really very comfortable as being prime minister. Um, and so I think in those situations, um, with someone like Blair and Cameron, I think there really was a, um, a, an enthusiasm and a vote that people wanted to go and vote for them. Whereas I feel with something like Rishi and Starmer, um, I feel... Uh, Labour will definitely win the next general election. Uh, I don't think it'll be as big as people think it's going to be. Um, I certainly don't think it'll be bigger than Blair's majority in 97, although the polls say it will be. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, We've seen them wrong a few times. Well, oh, we? absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, uh, I, I think the difference is people actively, particularly in 97, it did change later on after Iraq and other things that had happened. But... In 97, people wanted to go and vote Labour because Blair was leader. Um, I think it's different now because I think, although I don't, I don't have any um, hesitation saying Labour will be the next government, um, it's not because anyone loves Keir Starmer. It's not because he's got this remarkable charisma or personality or leadership because well, we don't have any policies. Mm-hmm. And, and all he's doing at the moment is do no evil, which will be enough. Um, but I think it's going to be an anti-Tory vote rather than a pro-Labour yeah. vote. Time for change. Exactly. That's all they've got to go on. Yeah. That's all they've got to do is say, and, we're, and we're a new. Isn't yeah. it? Everyone, that's all they've got to say is, we're, this, is, this is a new. Yeah, last time they, mm. got, they were in for 18, the Tories were in for 18 years, then Blair was in for 30, well, the Labour were in for 13 years. The Tories have now been in for 30, 14 years this year. Mm-hmm. So it, it is cyclical, isn't it? Yes, so. Yeah. Um, and and then what will happen is. So what about you? When is it, when is the uh, when is the campaign for JP starting? Well, <laughs> I, I feel like I've probably hung my boots up at this moment in time. Right. Um, there isn't anyone on any side of the debate. I'm not wedded. I mean, obviously, I, I was a Conservative councillor at one point, and I worked for a Conservative mayor, and I've worked for a Conservative prime minister. Uh, and, and I still advise if I'm asked to contribute to something that I think I've got something to say and they need a different point of view, I still do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always happy to share my opinions for free, uh, generally, uh, unless they want them daily, in which case they are going to pay for it. Um, <laughs> but it would need to be... So i so I tell you what, So the, the, the difference to this would be if um, 
in America, uh, fundamentally, I think Donald Trump would be an absolute nightmare to have back in the White House, and I would be really concerned. Um, and it, I am slightly strange because I'm probably centre right in this country, mm-hmm. whereas I'm a, very much a Democrat in America, which is sort of seen as the left. Yeah, way, it's, if you like. it's strange, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I, I don't think Biden is cut out for this now, and I, I think he's a bit of a liability. I think he's too mm-hmm. old, and that's yeah, a really and, and why, terrible thing to say. But why can't? they see that within the party are they so stuck with it having been in that kind of situation been in the party does everyone get so wrapped up within their small little world that they can't they, they're like blinkered to what's going on outside i think the difficulty is i think a lot of people recognize the problem but don't automatically see the solution um whereas the truth is if biden wasn't going to be the democratic nominee for president there's going to be there'd be three other names that would put into that. So there'd be Alexandra Ocasio uh, Cortez, who's this firebrand New York congresswoman, very very left. Think Jeremy Corbyn in a skirt mm-hmm. um, that the country won't like. Mm-hmm. There'd be Kamala Harris, uh, who's the, obviously currently vice president, but has is seen as the country as being a bit manipulative behind the scenes, working Joe Biden. She probably is the real president, to be be honest. And actually, that is what a lot of America thinks. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so probably wouldn't do that well. And Michelle Obama, who I think would have the opportunity of sweeping 38, 40, because 40 states out of the 50, and I would think would would go and make a very good president. Mm. But in order to do that, she would have to stab in the back her husband's vice president and now her the president, right? So um, if it's not Biden, then who is it? And I think that's where they're stuck on. Um, But so for me, to to bring this back to the (laughs) the answer to the question, is uh, if a... I, I don't think there's ever been a more fertile landscape for a third-party candidate. Um, and so if someone were to... If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were to now <laughs> say, oh, you know, I've played running for president on TV, whatever else, and unbelievably, they, they do poll this stuff, right? And Dwayne The Rock Johnson is actually... Really oh, I know. Popular. He's hugely popular, yeah. Um, but even popular in a, in a political yes, arena. Yes, yeah, I know. I know. Um, so... If, I'm using him as an example because I think it's very unlikely. But but if a genuinely credible third-party candidate got involved, that campaign would be such an insurgency mm-hmm. um, that, first of all, it would be fascinating to be part of it, um, particularly as I'd been part of a Democratic presidential committee, uh, party, um, the conventions and, and the campaign. Uh, but it would be fascinating to see because you would be, I mean, it would be such an insurgency because you'd just have rocks thrown at you from both sides the whole time. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it's just the, the masochist in me that just quite <laughs> just fancies getting beaten down <laughs> or on the airways for nine months to do that. But I think it would be genuinely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would have to, for me to go back into politics now, there would have to be a cause, you know, uh, or a person that I 100% believed in. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't now go back and take money from, from any 
current of our politicians because I don't believe in it. And I, I've always believed, I've always had to believe where, you know, I, I genuinely thought David Cameron was going to do stuff for this country. And actually, I think he did in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought it would ever be a Conservative Prime Minister that would legalise gay marriage when not that long ago, in our lifetime, when we were at school, when Labour brought in civil partnerships, which is a kind of step towards gay marriage, the Tories voted against it as a party. And, you know, and then 20 years later. 20 years later, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, I find it fascinating. But um, watch, your, watch your feet on that wire. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> and that was all he said as he went out from the smoke. <laughs> so it would need to be, um, it would need to be a, a crucial issue or a crucial person that would bring me back into politics. So is that why you've got time at the moment to get back into performing while you're now, you're, you're, I see a lot on social media that you're singing quite a lot. Cabaret act. Yeah, that uh, that kind of all happened a bit by accident. So uh, a year ago, no, a couple of years ago, I was asked um, if I, as an honour really, to if I would do the uh, Royal British Legion, be the act singing for the Royal British Legion annual dinner thing. Um, I, to which, of course, I said, Yes, but then I said, oh, God, I haven't sung on the stage for probably a decade. Probably it was mm. as long as that. Um, so, well, I, you know, I'll need to start practising and whatever else. So I went and did it. Um, I, and the truth is, I wasn't very happy with it. I, I felt like it... it I'd, I think what I'd done, actually, is I think I'd over-rehearsed. And then I felt like I hadn't saved my best for the night. I felt like a couple of days before I'd done a performance that was just unbelievable. Everyone should have seen it, but it was just me <laughs> in the kitchen. Right? So, um, so I felt like I'd, I'd not left it all out on the field. But it went down very, very well. And then from that, there was some other advances to people saying, well, would you come and do this? And I said, well, I don't really do it anymore. Um, and then after about the eighth or ninth time, um, my partner then <laughs> said to me... Uh, well, uh, listen, I know you don't do this anymore, but uh, actually the money's quite useful. So, <laughs> so get back uh, on it. <laughs> yeah, so maybe... Um, I was like, oh, but I haven't got the equipment now and I haven't got this and what I'm Well, we can sort that. Um, so, yeah, and then uh, there was someone who is kind of new because I've moved and whatever else and I've got this group, new group of friends that I see, you know, whatever else and, and you know, my friends, Nick and Dave, were saying, well, you know, you're not, it's quite good. You should carry on with this. And they all take the mickey out of me by being terrible. They come <laughs> to every gig I do and say, you're terrible. Uh, and then another girl called Chelsea, who's an act herself, but also is quite good at booking other acts and whatever. Um, so it has sort of grown. Um, and actually, I'd sort of forgotten how much I like performing. So it sort of has reignited the bug a little bit. So I think if I hadn't gone back and started singing, I definitely wouldn't have thought, well, I can do the panto, right? And I'd never written the panto before. So I've written this panto. And I am really proud of this panto script. I think it's actually genuinely really funny. Mm. Um, uh, so, and I am going to I am gonna go back and I'm going to do the dame one last time. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do you love one it. last time. So it's, it's one of them roles that you, it's, it, there's so much love that you receive. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, and this went, went you know, from when I did Rocky Horror or when I did Grease or I did any of the stuff that I did, that I've done on tour or I've done in London, whatever. I think the truth of it is, I, I always had real imposter syndrome mm -hmm. that I never genuinely felt I was good enough to be doing it. Why? Um, because I, I, I hadn't trained 
I hadn't trained. Um, I felt like I'd sort of blagged my way into particular companies um, and then they liked me. Um, and, I, and this really happened when I was playing um, the uh, Teen Angel part in Greece, which is fabulous because again, it's one song and, <laughs> and you're done, you're on the whiskey by nine. Uh, so, uh, which I loved. Uh, I was off for, um, I, I was off because I went to a wedding of a really close friend. So I, I was off um, for that week uh, and then I was ill. Um, and whilst I was off, um, someone obviously stepped into my role uh, and someone uh, <laughs> who I didn't actually know that well, but knew that I was in Greece, <laughs> messaged me whilst I wasn't there to say, um, wow, uh, JP, uh, I have to say, uh, I've seen you in a couple of things now, but last night you were absolutely awesome. Uh, and it's when I wasn't there. So, <laughs> uh, and so, right? so the fact that they'd said, well, I've seen you in a couple of things and I thought you were good, but last night <laughs> you were incredible. Uh, right? <laughs> uh, and I thought, wow, I mean, I've, I've, it's the kind of Martin McCutcheon thing now. Like mm. my understudy's better than I am sort of thing. <laughs> so um, I... I um, I did something that was really bad, actually. I can't remember if I tell you this story. Yeah, no, we need to hear uh, it now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I kept saying I was ill. I was ill. I was genuinely ill. Um, but then I felt a bit better, but I didn't have the, 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 the full voice back. Um, so I booked a ticket to the show. Uh, <laughs> and I went in the most terrible bloody disguise you've ever seen. Um, what, fake moustache, glasses? Yeah. Oh, do you know what? Not that far away, literally. I mean, people obviously thought he was a bit mental. Mm. Um, and, um, and so I, I, I genuinely went to watch uh, this guy do my part, my part, my part. Mm. Um, not that I'm, you know, uh, <laughs> bitter. And he was fantastic. He brought the house down. And, and that really, um, that, and he was better than I was. Um, now, that had two effects. One, uh, it made me, well, we're on tour, so it'd been quite a long time and I was quite jaded and I was quite knackered. Um, so I was holding back, I think. And actually, I think there is an element of, and I've done it as an understudy. You may have done it as an understudy. Um, the performance I give as an understudy is way better than any performance I'll ever give as a, a, an actual named role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you do that every night. Whereas honestly, you, like, I'm, you get every one night for last night, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Right? You never may get this opportunity again. Mm. So um, so <laughs> I did it. But so it had two effects. One, it made me better uh, because I really looked at it again and looked at it fresh and wanted to try something differently and actually then spoke to the MD and we had a little bit of a change of arrangement because I thought that was and that was good because then they felt like I'm still continuing to improve Mm -hmm. um but secondly it then really really uh, red flagged in my head the imposter syndrome that you're not good enough to be here um and also I'm quite straight down the middle where it should be the best person for the best job uh and quite clearly, if there was someone just in the company that was better than I was, mm-hmm. just, like just in that cast that was better than I was, then there were 300 people that were actually better than me in that part. And so th- there was an element of, it's nice they think I'm good enough to do the role and, and not embarrass myself or embarrass the show. Uh, and they clearly want my company, and they want me around. Um, but they're, they're, the show could be better without me. 
mm-hmm. um and that sort of went uh, that was a bit of a spiral for me then um and so then well there's a you know the the ego t- is taking yeah. a dent there isn't it yeah absolutely and and i think the thing is as well is it wasn't um it wasn't like i'd never felt that way do you know what i mean it wasn't like well mm. wow someone's come on and done my part for one night thank Christ, they're going back to another show tomorrow or whatever else because mm-hmm. uh, they're awesome. Because there'll always be, you know, if Alfie Bow was doing my part, right? <laughs> if if uh, Michael Crawford <laughs> was doing my part, if Michael Ball was doing my part, of course they'll come in and be better. But, you know, I, I may not be the best, but I'm the best in my price range. That's what I'd say, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you can pay their fees if you want, right? Um, so, you know, it's not going, oh, I have to be the best. It's definitely not true. But um, I, I, I think then that was a big thing than me then going on to do Rocky Horror. It's the last thing that I did, which Kim Blake was now nearly 20, getting on for 20 years ago. Um, but what I loved about that was it was new every night. Mm. It was never the same show twice. You know, like Joseph is the same show every night. Grease is the same show every night. Rocky Horror is never the same show because they shout out and, and they interact and they do. And I loved it. Um, and I think if I was ever going to make a return for anything, I think I've got one last, one last, I'd, I'd like to go back and do one last night in something, um, uh, like in a big, big theatre, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so one, one last night doing something I quite like to do, and I probably would choose Rocky, I could do anything, um, but I am, but the fact of me going back and doing the, the Dane this year um, is just something I want to do again, but also there is just an element of, I don't think I ever at the time enjoyed myself while I was doing it. And I think now I'm old enough to be in a situation where I think I really, you know, I'm good. If I did it for one more run or one more night or one more anything else, I think I would really, I think I would take the time to enjoy it mm-hmm. and go, yeah, you know, I should have been here. It takes a while to learn that, doesn't it? That you need to live in the moment and yeah. enjoy the moment Yeah, for what it is. Yeah. When we're younger, I think we're too busy looking ahead and, Oh, looking, yeah. looking back, and look, being either in for me, definitely, I was definitely always in the future or always in the past. I was never in the moment. Whereas, as you get older, you you do discover. I've discovered. It sounds like you are too. Discovering this moment to enjoy. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think I think what's really difficult is I heard this great statistic a couple of years ago. So it may be out of date, but I suspect it isn't. But there are the same amount of um, performing graduates. That are elite that that graduate every year from university, that there are jobs in this the in the industry in this country as a whole. So it's the same number. So I don't know what it is. If it's, say there's a hundred thousand jobs in the performing arts in this country mm-hmm. every year, a hundred thousand new graduates come through. <laughs> come through, um, and that's really tough, right? Mm-hmm. And and actually, I mean, in the days when I was first starting, my parents were really against it because they wanted to get a proper job. <laughs> Um, which I did go and get a law degree in the end, so <laughs> I hope I ticked that off. But um, they were, it was still quite seen as quite, you know, it was a difficult and desperate and tough career. Um, it was, gave rise to the, you know, what's an, an actor's favourite piece of dialogue or most recent used piece of dialogue? Do you want fries with that? <laughs> and, and and that was true because that is, and, I, and I've done it myself, you know, mm-hmm. I've taken like, call centre jobs and whatever else in between parts and whatever else. And it is to get to the next thing. But it's... And you can understand why... 
And I think this is also why I, I may thinking about the performing side is because by the time people get to my age, normally they've given up by now. Mm. They've had kids and <laughs> they've, they've yeah, got and mortgage and, and, and responsibilities. Got, yeah. and, and, and they don't want to be chasing the next thing. And also touring is really, really arduous. Mm-hmm. You know, living out of a suitcase is really arduous. But is it worth it? Uh, it's worth it for the experience. Uh, I don't think I'd like to do it again. Well, it depends how long it's for. Mm-hmm. Depends how long it's for. Sounds uh, like you're talking yourself into it already. Yeah, I know. well, <laughs> do you know what I'm thinking is, is that uh, someone said to me quite recently, um, we had quite a similar discussion about why I left theatre and whatever else. Um, and, and I said, would I ever go back? I said, well, it all sort of depends. Um, but then they started saying to me, well, you know, there's a lot more playing parts now. That, that, and actually, you know, mm. there's a lot of graduates every year, but there aren't many 40, 50, 60 year olds. No. Like, whoa, 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 hang on, I'm just 40. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's interesting, actually. I went to meet a new agent a couple of years ago and we were sitting down having a coffee. And he said, um, yeah, for you, right now, your age, there's not many of you out there. There's a lot of 21-year-olds. Yeah. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of 21-year-olds. Like yeah. you said, there's 100,000 new 21-year-olds yeah. every year. Absolutely. But by the time they get into their late 30s, early 40s, most of them, their responsibilities are so heavy that they and they, they can't find a way in to have this moment in their life anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So the opportunities do be, start to become, there isn't actually another 100,000 of you out there. Yeah. So maybe the opportunities are greater for you. And, and you know, I think there's also like the parts that you don't get. You say, well, yeah, but the parts be rubbish. And then there's like, well, Captain Von Trapp. Mm-hmm. Michael Ball's just gone back in as the old character in Aspects of Love. And, and Captain is it oh, there are, that's the beautiful thing with performing. There are, there is no age to it. Yeah, there is no moment where you have to say, "I'm, I'm stopping this." Yeah, and I think, that, I think the other thing I would like to do, which is, you'll probably laugh given our early conversation, is I'd like to tackle one last Shakespeare, <laughs> right? Because, um, because now I've got an appreciation for Shakespeare that I didn't mm. have when we were doing Romeo and Juliet. Yes, yeah. Um, I think in lots of ways that kind of lit the fuse because uh, there was one night, do you remember, you might remember this actually, this is reminiscing again. Um, do you remember when I got told off? No, I don't ever remember you getting, yeah, I know. you were never that um, kind of kid that got told <laughs> off. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, I remember you getting told off multiple times. <laughs> yeah, but, but this was for my performance. That's why I think it stung me and went with me. Um, but I remember, so it was, it was, the, it was the death. You're scene. determined to pull that all I down, know, yeah. aren't you? Well, I have to say, it would only be you would put it in front of the do, chair. Do you know what? Do you know what? I'm learning lessons. I think next time I'm going to take that wire down. That's a good idea. Yeah. See, I'm always here to help. You are. That's Harlow Council still <laughs> offering good advice. Um, so I done. Um, so when we're doing Romeo and Juliet, and and you've just died, and Juliet's died. Um, and uh, it's all very sad. And then Friar Lawrence comes on and does this speech when you're dead. Um, there was one particular night, and I came on and did this speech. And right, <laughs> and you know how critical I was. I nailed this speech. I mm. mean, I just nailed it. Right, and you know what's sad about it is I, I, I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, <laughs> but I, I nailed this speech. It's the best I'd ever done. The best I would ever do it. Right, it was fantastic. Um, and I was starting to pause and, and f- be in that moment. And the control, I never remember experiencing ever in any performance I've ever given where the audience were hanging on every word and you could feel a pin drop. There was no rustling, there was no movement. People were there 
And then I felt a bit of a lump in my throat. And whatever I'd done to feel that, suddenly people started crying in the audience. And it was audible. And the, and the fact they'd started crying made this lump in my throat get a bit high to the point that I almost started crying. And then I carried on with the speech. And whilst I'm doing the speech, a tear ran down my cheek, which then made more people cry, which made me more... And I walked off stage, and I, I, whoever was in the wings, and they were like, that was awesome. Like, JP, that was... I, I, I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, give me my Oscar. <laughs> give me my Oscar. And, uh, I, and I went God. back to the dressing room, and then I came <laughs> no, I went to the dressing room and I uh, perhaps had a whiskey because the rumours were there was whiskey in my dressing room. So I had a whiskey and the, um, the cans was, the, the speakers were still on. And you were on stage talking to Lawrence <laughs> with um, someone else. And uh, So this is after the show <laughs> This now. is after the show. Mm. But the, the speakers were still on so I could hear every word that was being said. And then I was, and it was, what? Well, I and I remember opening the dressing room door and shouting, "The speakers are on! I can hear you!" And Lawrence <laughs> going, "Well, you should be hearing it." And I went out and I was so furious. Right, it's the closest I've ever come to punching Lawrence. I was absolutely because by any stretch of the imagination, it was fantastic that before. And he said, "Never ever do something on stage that that you didn't do in the rehearsal room." And I and I understand that now I didn't understand that then mm. but it wasn't it wasn't like oh I want to try something it was just I was so caught in the emotion of the moment uh, it was a real uh, emotive experience um, and 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 so to go from that high to then be crushed um, like I was expecting plaudits do you know what I mean not criticism as it were so what um, did you learn from that Oh, well, I never worked with Lawrence again. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. Um, what I learned from it was, I take the principle um, of, um, of actually, you shouldn't do something on stage that you've not rehearsed. Um, but to look deeper, to look more meaningful. And also, you've got to remember, this was youth theatre. It wasn't that we'd all, we'd all just done, you know, 12 years at Sylvia Young or... East 15 or whatever like we were comprehensive school kids from Harlow in the main mm -hmm. um with no acting experience and to have found that moment w was beautiful you know was just beautiful and and so I think I think on the one hand it did teach me a lesson about um there's a, there's a good line between encouragement and, and, and nurturing talent um, but there being basis for rules, um, don't do stuff on stage that you wouldn't do in rehearsal, mm -hmm. but also recognising when someone has made a, a connection to a piece or to an audience or to whatever else, encourage them to try and seek that more often. Um, and and the, the one I said I come back to was, there was a, a point when um, Laurence Olivier was in um, Anthony and Cleopatra with... Uh, Helen Mirren, I think Helen Mirren was playing Cleopatra. And, um, and he'd gone on, he'd been doing the show night after night after night. 
and uh, he there's this one that he was just absolutely uh, incredible. Like he was astounding. He uh, the cast knew it, the, the the audience knew it, but, but he'd done it every night. But this was whatever else. And backstage, he was he was vile, and people were like, oh, get out of my way, get out of my way, and go back to the dressing room, come back, and and then he went on, finished, did the ended the show, brought the, brought the whole. Everyone know that it had been one of the most fantastic pieces. No, it wasn't Annie. It was Othello. It was Othello and Helen Mirren's Desdemona. Um, and it just, it was unbelievable. Everyone had said that like, the best it had ever been done, whatever else. And he flew off stage, went back to the dressing room, shut the, slammed the door, whatever else. And, and some of the cars sort of tentatively went up and knocked on the door. And I'm like, are you okay? Um, and he was like, we just want to say you're wonderful tonight. And he was like, I know. And I'll never be it again, will I? And it was that kind of, he knew that there were just moments when, mm. I mean, Sir Lawrence Olivier, Lord Olivier, like, <laughs> where the theatres are named after this, man. You know, he, mm-hmm. you know, amazing. Like, probably the best actor relatively we've ever produced in this country. Um, but he knew there was this zenith or this, this peak he'd reached one night and just the, the Gods of Theatre went with you one night and it was the best it will ever be and he'll never, ever achieve that again. Mm. Uh, not that I'm comparing myself to Lord <laughs> Olivier here in the, in the speech that I gave, but, <laughs> but that was my, that was my that was lesson moment. dorma, if you like. So I know you've got a gig to, to get to soon. I have. You yeah, have. I'm so, really sorry. Yeah. No, no, so as we wrap this up, if you could go back and visit that younger self, that, that, that Friar Lawrence... On that night, what advice would you give to him, knowing all the things that you know now? Uh, I would say, you're not as good as you think you are, but you could be better than you think you could possibly be. Um, But you need to, if you want to pursue this, you have to be all in. You can't just hope for the McNuggets of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't... Uh, don't pick up a piece of Shakespeare and now think that you're a scholar. And y- you need to... There's a lot of hard graft that goes with it. Um, and and if you want to be an all-round performer, an all-round actor, an all-round entertainer, whatever it is you want to do, um, having talent isn't enough if you don't work at it. It's quite critical, isn't it? It's, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. It's lovely. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, it's so profound. It's like <laughs> it is, yeah. What a profound <laughs> moment to wrap this up on. I, I truly appreciate you being here today, JP. Thank you very much. It's, it's been, been really nice reminiscing. It's been really strange. Mm. It's been, um, yeah. I, I said to you before I came in, I was quite nervous about it. I'm not, I don't, I'm not actually that comfortable talking about myself, to be honest, no, which, no. Uh, which might surprise a lot of people because they think I'm a jobby git. But, um, but it was, I think, I, I tell you what's quite interesting. I quite like to hear more of your evidence. I think I'd come back and interview you. Yes. Have you yeah. done one of these? Yet? No, no, no. Oh, right. Well, you no, this isn't about this isn't about me. This is about you know, a little moments maybe, but yeah. this is about this is about you. But you've got some good stories to tell. That was the BTS Creative Academy podcast, Uncut. I appreciate you joining us for this conversation. If you'd like to find out more about the BTS Creative Academy, just search BTS Creative Academy. 
And so that you don't miss out on any future conversations, don't forget to like and subscribe.